You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief live in Johannesburg on 101.9 FM and streaming worldwide on the High FM app and the High FM website. Today I get to chat to Stephen Tim, who lives in Cape Town. He's a journalist, researcher, and writer. And we're talking about a book that has just been released, written by himself, called At Any Cost, the South African fraudster who took the tech world for more than $40 million. And that South African is a person by the name of Iran Yell. Stephen, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi. How are you doing? Stephen, with, with all the fraud and corruption that's going on in South Africa and this this massive um, problem that we have, that we've encountered, we now see to, 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 to be exporting fraud as well. What made you write this book and, and what is your background in this whole field that we're going to be chatting about a little bit later, which is this this whole new online genre of doing business? Um, okay, I'm, I'm a journalist and uh, yeah, the story basically came to me when I was 2018. Um, I was the editor of VentureBurn at that time. Um, it's, a, it's a publication that focuses on the tech sector, it's an online publication. You know, I just got kind of caught up in the whole story. I, I was, uh, I, I'd met Iran Eyal before, um, must have been about 2010. And, uh, yeah, when news came in that, you know, that he, that he'd been, um, that he'd been arrested for, for fraud in, in New York, um, you know, I couldn't, like everyone else, I, I just couldn't believe that this is the same person that, you know, that he could have done this. And, and that sort of, I think, you know, he, he came across as such a gentle and charming, intelligent person. You know, I think that 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 sort of made me want to um, investigate further. And uh, I was the only person, really, other than maybe uh, one or two other cryptocurrency blogs, that uh, yeah, I started you know calling investors, started speaking to people that knew him. Yeah, in the end, I had so much material that you know a book looked like. You know, it, it actually read like the Wolf of Wall Street in a way. So I thought, you know, this, it's just, there's, there's so much here that people don't know about, even in the stories that I've, that I've written. I must have written about 20 stories or so on venture. But yeah, so, um, yeah, that's how, that's kind of how the, how the book came about. You talk um, in this book, other South Africans, and I don't think people are aware that there are many South Africans that have made the move overseas and have in many ways been successful in this tech industry. You talk about another South African entrepreneur, Vinnie Lingham. You talk about Ray Nuna, who at a stage promoted um, what Eyal was doing. Are there many South Africans that have made a difference in the world of tech overseas? Yeah, big names. There's many names that they've gone to the U.S. Mark Shuttleworth is now in the U.K. Martin Marshall. We can't we can't forget Elon Musk. Yeah, Elon Musk. I mean, Avi Eyal, uh, Iran's brother, he's fairly successful. He he went to Israel. Um, I think it's just the nature of the, the market in South Africa is small. So a lot of like a, a, a lot of people are in many emerging economies they decide to try to hit it big in Europe or the US and that's uh, you know in, in Iran's case it was always his dream to go to New York so it's not like he specifically New York right he, he mentioned that to an ex-girlfriend and, and and other people and I think that was for him the mark of success you know just being in New York uh, and living there yeah so that's why he you know he he first went over to Canada, he was gonna he was gonna set up there, but I think well I think it was 
you, you, you registered a company there as well, where the first bit of uh, investor funds, first kind of got people that he defrauded, the money went there to a Canadian account. But eventually, he, he set up in the in the in, in New York. The reason I brought up the others is simply to show that we're not just concentrating on the negative. It's 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 a very important story that you've told, and we're going to be covering it in depth in the coming minutes of the show. But the majority of South Africans that have exported their skills have actually done very well overseas and they've actually made an incredible difference. But this story is truly fascinating, especially the amount of money involved, more than 40 million US. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to learn from Stephen a little bit more about who exactly Iraniel was when he was still in South Africa and what happened once he moved overseas. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today I'm chatting to Stephen Tim. He's authored a book, At Any Cost, the South African fraudster who took the tech world for more than 40 million rand. And when I started to read this book, I was very nervous that I wouldn't understand the complexities of the tech fraud. I'm an old-fashioned investigator. I knock on doors. I follow the money. And this seemed complex at first. But Nick... Harry Lambus, who wrote a blurb for this book, actually summed it up in a nutshell. He said, EL proves definitively that a thousand white lies can get you convicted of fraud. This book meticulously walks the reader through the startup lies that ended in tears. Stephen, how did it start? It started really in 2012 when he split off. You know, it's rather a complicated story, but in, in 2012, the current investors that he was then in South Africa, so the current investors decided, you know, or one guy in particular decided, look, he's had enough of, you know, putting in money and not seeing anything coming out of the company, essentially. So he um, they had another, him and his co-founder, they had a, a, another uh, company. That's that's his co-founder, Eric Edelstein. They had another company called Everly. So he, the investor said, okay, well, you take, okay, you, Eric, you take, Every and um, I'll you know Iran can basically take a hundred percent or uh, I think yeah Edelstein had a minority of like twenty percent or something in in um, kept a minority in in uh, Springleaf and then uh, you know basically Iran is now in charge of Springleaf and then you know there's sort of there might have been sort of um, funny stuff going on before the U.S. but it was only really when he went to the U.S. So 2014 onward, that he started the the kind of you know it, it start that's when the sort of fraud started where he would uh, you know lie about details on his company and it was really about it really came down to everything like who who invested in his company who the clients were <clears throat> in the end even like went as far as um, he got this Bulgarian guy to web scrape you know like basically go into Fiverr which is like a website for platform for freelancers and basically scrape all gather all the profiles of there like you know you had a, like over 180,000 profiles from there and then he could say from he only had at the time he only they could only conf, he in his company and his employees could only confirm that they had about 2000 because how the platform spring week worked is you know they started as a t-shirt company where they design where they'd get like designers to design uh, t-shirts and then the community would like vote on the best t-shirts would then get sold in uh, stores or or on their their website um then they pivoted they moved away from that and they set up this like 
using like crowdsourcing. They came up with this platform, instead of using an advertising agent, you could like crowdsource from this platform. You could get a, someone who's a market expert or designer or some kind of creative. You know, you'd obviously save a lot more money using that than ad agency. And um, so obviously the more, the bigger the platform the more names they could gather, the, the, you know, the bigger the impact could be. And they were going, you know, Iran said they were going now global. And uh, apparently they only ever gathered about 2,000 audited names that they, these people that they actually had contacted and said, you're part of Spring Leap or whatever. But next thing, they had 180,000 names. And that was paid $20 or something to this, $25 or so to this, uh, this Bulgarian guy. And they web scraped, the guy web scraped, uh, these 180,000 names and, you know, a whole lot of other things, you know, he, he'd do things like he said, Spring Leap was the seventh most innovative company in the world voted by Fast Company magazine. But meanwhile, and, and he had this on his LinkedIn profile, but meanwhile, all that was happening was Fast Company is like published other editions. So it had a South African edition. So in the South African edition, there was like 25 international companies or from not from South Africa. And then they had like, Another 20 or so names from South Africa. And on that second list, that's where Spring Leap appeared. And, you know, just by doing things like this, you could always say, oh, sorry, I made an admin mistake or I made like a typo or something. So it was very clever about the way that he went about this. Initially, a lot of people said, oh, he was, he, it must be like down to administrative errors. And even he did because he knew, he, he knew like if someone caught him, that's his excuse. And on pitch decks, you know, you'd have people there that didn't work in the companies anymore. Those people that are on the pitch decks, you know, because who they used to work for. So he was name dropping, you know. So, Stephen, when we look at this fraud, he took $40 million plus from investors who were specifically from the tech world and understood the tech world and understood what it was they were getting involved in through his misrepresentations which may at one stage be in embellishments but then landed up becoming lies he eventually got charged by the law enforcement authorities and he was convicted what was he charged for and what was the end result of those charges essentially he was only charged over fraud for spring leap but then they later found out that uh, he was up to the same tricks at two other companies including uh you know, um, shopping, which was where he raised $42.5 million in an initial coin offering, which is like an IPO, but through the internet. When he was convicted in the end through a plea agreement, he was actually convicted of uh, three counts of essentially fraud. And that was plea agreement. So he didn't go, you know, in exchange for this plea agreement, he was going to get, if convicted of the top account, he was going to get 15 years in prison. And all that happened in the end, they, they just said, pay back the money that you owe investors. And at that time, it was the Spring Leap. There were four Spring Leap investors that took that took him to, that actually reported him to the New York Attorney Generals. Those four guys had, um, they were in the US, so they could do that there because there were investors like in Australia, South Africa, the UK. I mean, it was, Spring Leap alone was probably about $3 million US dollars that he'd like defrauded from people. He was made to pay that money back. There was a civil claim. Uh, charges that were opened up by the SEC. So all that happened was the SEC said, you got to take the money that, that's left over at shopping and you're going to use that to pay back these four guys from that and the bail money. You use that to, 
the money from the bail, and the bail money was 250 US dollars. Pay back these four guys. It's it's really strange thinking. You you steal money at through an ICO. The ICO was fraudulent too because it was based on him having done shopping, having done two pilot projects, and shopping's precursor was Paso. So essentially, he ran Paso. He took over from this other guy who had a dark cloud hanging over him, left very dodgy circumstances. That guy also never wanted to, um, never wanted to, yeah, he, he didn't want to come clean on, on, on to me because he is apparently the guy who left mysterious circumstances from Paso was the one who carried out those pilot projects apparently. When we look at a fraud like this, we're talking about ICOs, we're talking about blockchains, we're talking about all these investors that got involved and we see common mistakes that normal fraudsters make. We see misrepresentations where he says he's stepping down to one group of people, to others he says he's still part of an organization, even although some of the investors have insisted he remove himself. In another instance, there was a company that um, he claimed was still registered and active, but that company hadn't been paid up to date and, in fact, wasn't registered. Of course, funds were flowing into different accounts. Have you been asked by any any anybody that's, that's taken an interest in this type of fraud – to try compare it to one of the older type frauds that have happened in the past that doesn't necessarily involve ICO or blockchain so that the layman who may not be tech-orientated could understand comparably how this fraud took place? No, but I can tell you it's they all work the same. I mean, most importantly is it's name-dropping. So you say, oh, um, Nicholas Hyman, number six employee of Facebook, he invested. Why are you... Oh, you're not going to invest now. That's the first thing. So, and Nicholas Hyman never invested a cent. I mean, all maybe what he did do, which was what the New York Attorney General's investigating officer found, you know, there could have been an email where he said, oh, I'm interested, you know, and then Ayal had said, do you want to invest $100,000? But he never invested any money. And the second thing is the sort of urgency, the fear of missing out. I think that's also on other investment scams. So you, you tell the, the person, yo, you better get in quickly now. Look at the, and especially with the Bitcoin and this was Ethereum, the, the Ether. So if Ether is tied to Bitcoin and the price was just walloping, going, it's pretty much like now, even more crazy because it was coming from a lower height. And um, that's what made these, you know, when he was doing the ICO, that's what made these guys go, the, the people that were putting in, that were investing and buying um, shopping coins, that, that's kind of what made them go ludicrous because they thought, well, look at look at the price of this thing. It's, it's skyrocketing. And actually what happened was the, the price then collapsed after they raised, um, after the end of the ICO, because the ICO ran for about four or so months. Right at the end of it, like May 2018, the price apparently went down from 42.5 million US dollars because that's just how much the, the value of the ether that they, that, that they got in at that time to like six or six and a half million US dollars. So he needed to suddenly raise more money, which is why he was caught in, in Singapore, um, or it was caught going to Singapore in, in, at the airport in JFK uh, International Airport. But these, um, yeah, so it's, you know, you create a situation where they need to put in money quickly to invest, to, to take advantage of this. Other people, you name check other people that have put in money. You also name check, everything's name checking. Like you... The guy, someone in your in your team who no longer works for you, you keep him on the pitch deck, and then later, oh sorry, no, he doesn't work there in the, in the company anymore. But he's worked for big names, you know, big names. It's all about the big names. You put logos on your pitch deck. It looks at one time in shopping, it looked like Google had invested in his company, and and another company called uh, Zocdoc, which is quite big, 
ZocDoc sent him a, a legal letter and said, take that off the pitch deck and we want to make sure, because we have never invested in, in you guys. All that had happened is that someone from ZocDoc, an employee, had invested in his business. So there again, he can always say a very highly clever way of, you can always say, oh, uh, no, a communication error. Actually, you know, it's a pitch deck. I can't say all that stuff. So I summarized. Meanwhile, it looks to 100% of the people that look at that think that Google or ZocDoc or both of them would put the money in. And so association, um, name dropping is crucial. People are just, they, um, and he relied on specific in the tech sector, he relied on people just having their very time, con- they, they don't have a lot of time to make decisions. They make like everything's down on the gut decision. Like, oh, look, uh, you know, he'd, he'd say like for shopping, he'd say, which was like a, a an app, basically an app to people going to different stores, like and you started off with clothing, like, and they, this app would, would like save all their preferences in, in the app so that when they went into the store on the app, it would just show them like the stuff they needed, like a Hawaiian shirt. They like a Hawaiian shirt or they like this straw hat and it'd show them all that stuff and then actually also pay them in crypto coins to advertise to them. It was actually a very good idea. It was all, he was punting this whole thing because he was saying that Amazon had stolen retail away from all the small retailers and was killing them because on Amazon, there were nothing but another page on Amazon. Very clever, striking fear into uh, the investor going, whoa, we better, uh, we better like. When we come back from our break, I want to talk to you more about how he changed once this, this fraud started how his personality changed, and how his lifestyle changed. We'll be back after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. This book of yours at any cost really details how this fraud took place. But I want to know more about the guy. Tell us just a little bit about how he was brought up in South Africa, how his personality seemed to change in respect of his image, because you talk about his image actually changing before one's eyes. The social media updates that he was giving, suddenly the beautiful girlfriend on the side, the traveling first class, the apartments. It's interesting to get into the mind of the fraudster. Tell us more. Yeah, if you can actually get into anyone's mind. I mean, you know, just as a kind of disclaimer, I never... I was never able to talk to him because by the time I came to, uh, I sent him a message and he said, you know, I visited New York for his sentencing. And then he said, like, he, he, he responded by WhatsApp, in a WhatsApp message saying, you know, because of his uh, plea agreement, he, he can't really talk to me. By the time I came there, he was actually already uh, being held by the Immigration um, and Customs Authority, ICE. So, uh, and then he, from there, he was deported in, in May to Israel. So I, I had to use his Facebook account. Now, one interesting thing is that the guy was friends with me on Facebook. Now, why would you continue being, um, he blocked me on LinkedIn, where that's where he, you know, he, he'd, um, he'd contacted, he'd contact investors on LinkedIn. So I think he, he didn't want me to see that stuff that he had on LinkedIn, but I could always ask other people to take screenshots for me. So, you know, there's always a way around it. Uh, Facebook, interesting, all this time, you know, he knew that I was, he must have known I was accessing his Facebook because I was using photographs from Facebook for um, when, you know, when I'd, when I wrote my uh, venture burn stories, um, I'd, I'd take his photos from there. And so using his Facebook account plus Eric Edelstein, who I also was Facebook friends with, 
I was able to I was able to kind of like that helped me fill in a lot of gaps. Plus, I was I accessed it on Telegram. I could see him speaking to when he was on Telegram. It's like it's like WhatsApp. It's like but a more secure thing, uh, social network thing um, app. I was able to. He had a group that he was chatting to investors uh, to to his um, invest the investors like the four thousand investors that had invested in the in in shopping. The, the crypto, the blockchain company. So I, I was able to see what he was telling them there. And you could actually just see this guy falling apart because he'd, he'd like on moments when my stories came out and someone posted them in, in, in the, you know, in the channel, you know, he'd, he'd say, this is like nothing but a podium of garbage. This is like fake news. Uh, but uh, so you could see that element, you know, during 2019, when, as the case was uh, getting more, uh, was dragging on because it went on for about a year before he was convicted. But then going back on his Facebook account, um, you, I could also see, you know, psychologically, when did this guy, it sort of looked like, you know, before he went to New York, he was a very sort of average down to earth, sort of, his clothing was a bit arty, but not, you know, like beatnecky, didn't look very poshy or anything. And when he came to America in New York, he stayed in the, he stayed in Williamsburg. And the first place that he went to, which I visited, was like a three, I think it's a two or three story. Yeah, I had like the ground floor or the basement kind of thing, and then two stories. And he was like in the middle, I think. And it looked, I mean, average kind of size, even though the rent was uh, probably like uh, two and a half thousand dollars a month or something. He went from there into this like silver forty-story high building, the highest, the newest building and highest thing in, in Williamsburg. I mean, it's along on the Hudson River. And you go, whoa, because most of Williamsburg, it, that's just across from Manhattan, where above, just north of on the northern um, reaches of Brooklyn. Um, it's a very unassuming, like, suburb with, you know, most buildings are the ground floor and two two stories above that. Uh, and then this massive thing, just like real pretentious building, looking overlooking everything. Now he moved to that building. So that, that was 2017, the beginning of 2017. And that's when he, a few months later, he started he, he started shopping, uh, August. He was already running Paso by then. And a few months before that, before he moved to that building, he shaved his head. And I put it down. That was like the moment that he was like the guy. The, he was like the slick, you know, because before that he had his hair was a, a receding hairline and stuff. Uh, two, the hair was on both sides and it was receding in the middle. And that's when, when he shaved his head, it was almost like, I don't know, it's, it's like, almost like he underwent a, a, another personality change to become the suave, smooth-talking guy. I mean, he was already defrauding people at that time, but it was now like Iran 2.1. And, um, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I was able to speak to, to other people, and they often the kind of – he grew up – he was one years old when he left Israel. The family left Israel. It's not clear why they came. They moved to Durban. His older brother, Avi, was the successful one. Actually, his, his sister was also apparently fairly successful, but his brother became a successful tech entrepreneur. Sold, yeah, built and sold a number of companies, went to the U.S., the U.K., came back, got married, went to Israel. I mean, he wanted to be just like his brother. That's apparently the story of, of why he, a lot of people told me, no, probably what drove him to defraud, to the fraud was because he couldn't make it, uh, he, he couldn't do it, make it in an honest way. So he decided 
Hence the title of the book, At Any Cost. You do it at any cost. Two last questions, Stephen. The first question, how long did he run the scam before he was found out? And second, where is he today? Well, there were a couple of scams. I mean, there was there were three companies, like I said, that he was convicted for. That company he started with Eric Edelstein back in 2006, 2008. They started eventually together in 2006, but I think Spring Leap only was emerged from this uh, kind of holdings thing in 2008. And this, 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 the actual, in, the fraud that the New York Attorney General, they, the New York Attorney General's office got a grand jury in 2016. That means basically, without Iran even knowing, the New York Attorney General's office went to court and asked to like get into all his electronic, electronic um, online Accounts, so, like that was, so, so that was 2016, and then they grabbed mm. him 2018. Then, so it took them two so, years, basically. Yes. Uh, for they apparently So they, they investigated things from 2014 to, to, to like the end of 2015. So the company closed like January 2016 or so, February 2016, I think. Apparently, they only the reason they grabbed him there at the airport in August 2018 was he was going to raise another ICO, a mini ICO, for like a million and a half or 2.5 million, 2, million US dollars or something. And they did not want him to either leave the country or to like raise another ICO. So, so even in New York, some of these investigations can take some time, but they do get to them in the end. Last question for you today, Stephen. Where is he now? I think he's in Israel. I mean, he was deported there. Right after he was deported, he was spotted in the UK. One of his former employees told me, tipped me off, that his LinkedIn, professional LinkedIn, business LinkedIn profile showed the guy had been removed from a folder in central London. So he was there, and apparently his girlfriend was there too. So he was visiting his US girlfriend in the UK in June last year. And I suppose he's either in, he's either in London or he's in, um, he's in Israel. Uh, I don't think you can come back here because, you know, there's too many people wanting to ask questions about him. And there's, I mean, COVID, why would you want to come back now? A lot of people, he owes money and South Africa is a different kettle of fish. Stephen, it's a great book. For those that that want to read it, it's called At Any Cost, The South African Fraudster Who Took the Tech World for More Than 40 Million U.S. It takes you as a reader into a different world. As a financial crimes investigator, it helped me to understand a lot more about the tech world, the startups, the ICOs, etc. I just want to read what it says about the book. Iraniel had it all, a trendy New York apartment, a jet-set lifestyle, and investors lining up to get in on his million-dollar cryptocurrency startup shopping. He had come a long way from an ordinary middle-class childhood in Durban and the burgeoning tech scene in Cape Town. But then the New York authorities pounced in 2018, charged him with fraud, and packed him off to Rikers Island. There began the gobsmacking unraveling of a scam that spanned investors across the globe and revealed that Yale had built a house of cards involving fictitious products, clients, and advisors for shopping in his previous company, Springleap. As more than $40 million went up in smoke, the South African entrepreneur was exposed as an audacious fraudster determined to succeed at any cost, even if it meant spinning a web of lies to do so. At Any Cost by Stephen Tim is available at all good bookstores. If you go onto our, our, our Facebook page, Conventional Brief Radio Show, and comment on the post of today's um, 
broadcast, you can stand in line to win a copy. We have one copy of the book to give away. Stephen Tim, I just want to thank you so much for joining us, especially this yeah, public so. holiday. And uh, no, listen, yeah. we're definitely going to be chatting to you again soon because it seems that the world of crypto, blockchain, ICOs, and tech as a whole has taken fraud into a whole different direction. So you and I are going to have a lot more to chat about in the coming months. Yeah, great. That was Stephen Tim. He is the author of At Any Cost. And I'll be back same time, same place next week. My name's Chad Thomas. You've been listening to Confidential Brief.